This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The crisis with Iran getting closer to a boiling point as we speak. The lead starts right now. Breaking news, President Trump just responded after Iran seized a second tanker in the span of just a couple of hours today. The confusion in a crisis where one mistake could possibly lead to war. President Trump today slinging even more insults at a prominent freshman African-American congresswoman and calling the crowd the chanted, send her back, a chant he just yesterday said he didn't like, calling them patriotic. Plus, they say they're the forgotten ones, the women accusing President Trump of sexual assault and misconduct who say the Me Too movement has left them out. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to the lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin today with breaking news. U.S. officials now saying Iran has seized two ships, one a British flagged oil tanker and the other a Liberian flag tanker. The president just moments ago responded to this report. Economically, the country is doing really well. And this only goes to show what I'm saying about Iran. Trouble, nothing but trouble. The managing editor of the shipping industry publication, Lloyd List, telling CNN that the seizure of the British flag tanker is creating, quote, probably the highest level security threat we have seen in the region since the late 1980s. This all, of course, comes after tensions between the U.S. and Iran have escalated over the past few weeks. Just yesterday, President Trump announced that the U.S. had downed an Iranian drone in the Strait of Hormuz, a claim that the Iranians are denying. CNN's Barbara Starr joins me now live from the Pentagon. And Barbara, what does the U.S. make of these two sankers, tankers that the Iranians have seized? Jay, for the last several hours, we have been in very fast-moving developments. These two tankers, we are now told by sources directly familiar with this situation, were seized just half an hour apart. That means the Iranians were able to plan ahead, coordinate, and know where they were going to be, know where they were going to move their own forces. They boarded both tankers half an hour apart and took them into Iranian waters, one from the Strait of Hormuz, one a bit north of there inside the Persian Gulf. A British warship was 20 miles away. It began moving towards the area. This now puts the British very much on uh, notice of concern, as you just said about the threats that they are facing. But there is more. At this hour, we are told by sources we're talking to, a U.S. commercial cargo ship is moving through this transit area. The U.S. does not obviously want to say exactly where it's located, but it does want the Iranians to know that the U.S. military is watching. There are, we are told, armed aircraft overhead keeping watch for any trouble from the Iranians. So that is a very sensitive situation uh, it is a known fact. A transit through the uh, Strait of Hormuz takes some six to eight hours. We don't know where this ship is. We don't know what part of the transit it is in. And we obviously want that ship to stay safe. So we're not uh, offering, able to offer a lot of details from our sources on this. Where we are now is what happens next. Um, 
it is almost impossible at this point, you know, for military ships to escort every cargo ship that moves through these waters. But these cargo ships are extremely vulnerable. They are unarmed. They have civilian mariner crews. These are narrow waterways. They can't really stay out of the range of Iranian Revolutionary Guard uh, small fast attack boats. So they are extremely vulnerable. And this is a you know, a growing problem now, how to keep shipping safe. It is not just the oil moving through there. Billions of dollars in commercial cargo moves through there. These are the shipping lanes that move on to Asia, Europe, and the United States. It is very close to becoming potentially a financial and economic crisis for the shipping industry. Jake. All right, Barbara Starr. And we're just being told this second that the foreign uh, Minister of uh, the UK has said, former, the Foreign Secretary of the UK has said that as far as they know right now, there are no British citizens on the British flagged ship for what that is worth. CNN's anchor uh, Becky Anderson is on the ground in the region. And mm-hmm. Becky, uh, what are you hearing from your sources about their concern over what seems an aggressive action by Iran? Yeah, Jake, remember, we are just across the Persian Gulf from Iran here in the United Arab Emirates. So concern reaching fever pitch over these last few weeks. Just in the last few days, a senior Emirati official telling me, quote, we are not trigger happy. We are urging de-escalation. And Jake, while they are saying that, we also know that the Emiratis have been pulling back their forces from from Yemen, which, of course, would bolster um, their forces here back at home. And your audience will know better than most that this country, the UAE, spends billions on American military hardware. The fear is palpable. As you mentioned, Jake, the quote from Lloyd's List on this being the most serious situation in some 40 years, maritime security here is absolutely critical in this part of the world, the Strait of Hormuz, as you can see there on the map. But do remember, Jake, to the Iranians, this isn't aggressive at all. To some extent, you could suggest that they are, in fact, acting from a position of weakness. One of their tankers held just off the coast of Gibraltar um, two weeks uh, ago uh, over allegedly trying to sail on to Syria in violation of, of sanctions. Iran's supreme leader vowing to respond to that at the right time and the right place, he said. Well, clearly, he's judging that to be right here, right now. It's a very carefully prescribed set of actions coming from Tehran. Uh, Uranium enrichment suiting down a a US drone. They see this as a reasonable response, they would say, to what they see as US aggression. I mean, I'll keep working the sources here for the very latest reaction. But for the time being, certainly, um, as I say, the, 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 the concern is palpable in this region. All right, Becky, thank you so much. Appreciate your reporting. Uh, let's uh, chew over this w- with our, our panel. Caitlin, let me start with you as a White House correspondent for CNN. This is all coming after this rise in tensions uh, between uh, the Trump administration and Iran. How is the White House reacting to this report? We saw the president say uh, Iran is nothing but trouble, but he, he didn't seem perhaps fully versed on everything that was going on. No, he said essentially they're checking it and they're going to be speaking with UK officials. He didn't say if they had done so yet. But of course, this is coming just after we're seeing these contradicting reports from each side, from the US and Iran, on what happened yesterday when the president announced that the US had downed an Iranian drone. And the Iranians are saying, no, that didn't happen. We don't know whose drone it was. Maybe it was the United States. 
And then today we saw the president and John Bolton respond to that and say they felt very confident it was an Iranian drone and that there was essentially, essentially no doubt about it. So it, this comes as there are these escalating tensions. The question is, what is the president going to do? Because he made uh, a weird statement there saying there's no agreement with the United Kingdom over what to do with Iran. Uh, so it kind of leaves open a possibility of what he's going to do. But I should note, we are seeing the president start to move behind the scenes in a more hawkish direction on Iran. So it kind of leaves open for possibility how he's going to respond here. Phil, how do you interpret Iran's move uh, seizing these two tankers, uh, one Liberian flagged, one uh, British flagged? Uh, pretty simple. We got a carrot and a stick. In the midst of all this, the Iranians even this week have suggested they'll talk to us. They have an avenue to do that. One is they've got their people at the U.N. They've also got the Europeans. They're trying to squeeze the Europeans to get the Europeans to tell us to back off. So there's carrot. Same time, let's couple this with uranium enrichment, which you know we've seen recently. The Iranians are telling us, if you don't want to take the carrot, A, we can raise gas prices, that's shutting down shipping, and B, we might start enriching uranium more, which heads you in a direction to say, are they going to build a bomb? Carrot and stick, Jake. And, and Tulu, uh, it, was, it seems like a year ago, but it was just last month that President Trump uh, called off what looked like it was going to be a military strike uh, against some targets in Iran after Iran shot down uh, an American uh, surveillance aircraft. How might the president respond here? Well, it really depends on who he's listening to. His personal instincts are to not get involved. He sort of backed away from saying there's any agreement with the U.K. He's even talked about how the Strait of Hormuz is not a place where the U.S. gets a lot of its oil. He's basically said that this is an area that the rest of the world should be worried about, and he does not want to be the policeman of the rest of the world. So his instincts are to not really be involved and to talk about the, the carrot part of this, talk about how he might be able to get into negotiations, high-stakes negotiations with the Iranians. But he has a lot of advisors who do lean in a more hawkish direction, who John Bolton and, and Mike Pompeo, perhaps. Right. Who, among them, who yeah. say, you know, you can't let this type of action go without a response. And if he listens to those voices, I would not be surprised if he does pull the trigger and actually take some action to show that, you know, the U.S. will not be uh, bullied in the Strait of Hormuz, that we'll stand by our allies and that Iran needs to be reined in. So it really depends on who he's listening to uh, and how he decides to respond to it. And Jen Psaki, everybody, uh, Caitlin and Tulu both talking about the president saying we don't have an agreement with the U.K. Let, let's play that sound, and I want to get you to react to it. Just a few moments ago, President Trump talking about this incident. We'll be working with the U.K., but we have no written agreement, but I think we have an agreement which is longstanding. You know what he's talking about? Not clear what he's talking about. It's also important to remember that the U.K. is going through a leadership election right now. So Theresa May has stepped down. Boris Johnson will likely, likely take her place. He may, he's like the European Donald Trump, uh, but that hasn't taken place yet. So they're in transition. I'm not sure who he'd be having an agreement with either. Also, the Europeans and U.K. has a different view of Iran and the Iran deal and our, their relationship with Iran. So it certainly wouldn't be along those lines. What's very tricky here, there's a lot of tricky things, but to me, is who is going to de-escalate? this. It's not the United States, uh, given Trump at the, in the Oval Office. It's not the U.K. with Boris Johnson or, or a lack of leadership. So that's the piece that's pretty concerning to me. All right, everyone stick around. We're going to have much more of this breaking news. Iran seizing two tankers today in what a source tells CNN the U.S. military believes was coordinated and pre-planned. Stay with us. And we're back. We're back with the breaking news. A U.S. Uh, defense official telling CNN the two tankers have been captured by Iran in what the U.S. military believes was a pre-planned and coordinated operation. Right now, the Pentagon is monitoring the transit of a U.S. commercial cargo ship using armed aircraft overhead. A lot of nervous people watching to see what the Iranians are going to do. We have with us former CIA and FBI official Phil Mudd, along with retired General Spider Marks. 
and CNN international correspondent uh, Frederick Pleitkin. Fred, let me start with you because you just returned from Iran. Uh, what are you mm. hearing from your sources uh, about mm. this? Yeah, uh, look, Jake, the, the Revolutionary Guard has been saying that uh, this uh, first tanker that they took, the Stena Imperil, apparently was turning off its tracker, they said, as it was going through the area of the Strait of Hormuz. Uh, they say uh, that it was disregarding international maritime law, as they put it, and that's when their boats moved in and then uh, took it into inter- Iranian waters and then forced it ashore. Now, the most recent thing that I've gotten, and this just came to me a couple of minutes ago, Jake, is that apparently they're towing that ship to the port of Bandar Abbas. Now, that's one of uh, Iran's biggest ports there in the area of the Strait of Hormuz. Also has a very, very large Revolutionary Guard uh, Navy uh, base there as well. So certainly it seems that boat very much in the custody of the Iranians. And of course, we know they have that second tanker now as well. The Iranians clearly there in a show of force wanting to show that they are the ones who are the boss there in the Strait of Hormuz. And we've seen that, Jake, in the statements that they've been making over the past couple of weeks. Not only have they said that they believe that after the Brits took one of their tankers that they should take a tanker as well, but they've also continuously said that they are the ones who are going to police the Strait of Hormuz. And they've also said anybody wants to mess with them there, there's going to be consequences, Jake. All right, General Marks, let me ask you, this comes just uh, 24 hours after President Trump claimed that the U.S. shot down an Iranian drone that was flying near a U.S. Navy ship. Um, do you worry that there is a connection between these two events? What happened well, yesterday or so uh, with the U.S. apparently shooting down an Iranian drone and the Iranians seizing two ships? Well, I think there's no doubt that all these are connected. I mean, just when you look at the geography, you look at the proximity, you look at the history, you look at what's taken place over the, ca- over the course of the last few weeks, and what we've seen with the Iranians today with the British tanker, which frankly is an act of war, if the Brits choose to declare it an act of war, you know, clearly what you want to do in circumstances like Is it that. an act of war even if it's true, and I don't know that it is, but even if it's true that they turned off their tracking device, the British? If it's in international waters. Okay. Yeah, it is, absolutely. But what you would want to do in those circumstances is you want to de-escalate. I mean, rule one is always protect your people, protect your individuals, protect your, your kid. Then, number two is you want to de-escalate as best you can. Rule three is if you can't get your tanker back, go get your tanker back, mm-hmm. regardless of how you have to do it. But remember, rule two, don't escalate beyond that. So I, I would, I'm totally convinced that these two things are, all these activities are connected. Yeah. And Iran's motivation for doing this is attention, is aggression, is to flex back after... Uh, uh, the U.S. shot down one of its drones, if in fact that's the case? Pretty simple lever in in response to not only the drone strike, but also obviously the sanctions the U.S. has imposed, and that is money. We have obviously increased oil production in the United States, but the Europeans and the Asians, including the Chinese, get a ton of oil going through those streets. The Iranians, and it's a rare moment where the adversary tells you what they're going to do. They tell you their intentions. The Iranians at a senior level have said publicly, we could shut down the straits if that, that's what it takes. They've, they've talked about doing that and done that back in the 1980s, so it wouldn't be the first time. How nervous are you, General, about this U.S. tanker going through the Strait of Hormuz right now and what the Iranians might do? Not at all. You're not? Not at all. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, to Phil's point about shutting down the Straits of Hormuz, they, the Iranians don't have the capability of shutting down the Straits of Hormuz. They can make it very difficult. They can disrupt traffic. They can make it very, very hard for ships to pass in a way that they would normally want to pass. So you've got to alter the passage type of protocol. But I'm not concerned that the straits are ever going to be shut down by the Iranians. We would not allow it. We've got the capability in place. So I'm not too concerned. But 
what truly is on the table is what's the level of escalation that Iran will take on in order to try to provoke us to a point where we fire back. I'm not concerned that the United States is going to escalate. Not at all. But the Iranians are looking for a provocative moment where we might. All right, Fred Plykin, Phil Mudd, General Spider-Marks, thanks one and all. Appreciate uh, your time and your insights. Just moments ago, President Trump took a new swipe at a Democratic congresswoman and why he says she and her three cohorts uh, are should be expecting more attacks from him. Coming up. When somebody goes out and says the horrible things about our country, the people of our country that are anti-Semitic, that hate everybody, that speak with scorn and hate. President Trump just minutes ago resuming his attacks on a prominent black woman, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, and defending his response to chants of send her back by his own supporters at a North Carolina rally the other night. Chants that even many Republicans who support the president have called nativist, terrible, chilling, and offensive. The chants at Wednesday's rally were an extension, of course, of the president's racist attack launched Sunday, all part of his new campaign tactic, a divisive message against these four freshman female lawmakers, all women of color, coded with the racist suggestion that they should all go back where they came from, though, of course, all four are American citizens and three were born in the United States. CNN's Abby Phillip is at the White House. And Abby, you asked the president about why it was okay for him to criticize America, which he did repeatedly as a presidential candidate, uh, and not for these four Democratic women. That's right, Jake. And the president dodged that question and many others today. He pivoted only to continuing his attacks on the squad. But when it comes to the First Amendment rights that the squad has to speak their mind about America, the president says his supporters have a right to say and feel what they want, too. Wait, you know do take I'm that un- tweet back. You know what I'm unhappy with? I'm unhappy with the fact that a congresswoman can hate our country. Just one day after distancing himself from his supporters' send her back chant, President Trump now refusing to take back the words he wrote that prompted it. I'm unhappy with the fact that a congresswoman can say anti-Semitic things. The president's defiance capping a week of controversy that started on Sunday morning with his racist attack, telling four congresswomen of color to go back to the places from which they came. This is the agenda of white nationalists. The president was emboldened as outrage exploded on the left, but Republican lawmakers were slow to comment. Two days after the tweets went out, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell eventually offering tepid criticism. Well, I think I've just said, I think everybody ought to tone down their rhetoric. By Wednesday, Trump had turned the attacks into a scripted campaign strategy. And she looks down with contempt on the hardworking Americans, saying that... Ignorance is pervasive in many parts of this country. And obviously and importantly, Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. His supporters responding with a chant formed from his own words. That scene apparently crossing a line for Republican lawmakers on Capitol Hill, who voiced their discomfort with the chance to Vice President Mike Pence. And sources say his daughter Ivanka Trump also expressed her concerns to the president. 
By Thursday, Trump disavowed the chance by falsely claiming he tried to stop it. I did, and I started speaking very quickly, but it started up rather, rather fast. 24 hours later, the president now attempting to move the debate to more comfortable territory, crowd size. Those people in North Carolina, that stadium was packed. It was a record crowd, and I could have filled it 10 times, as you know. Those are incredible people. Those are incredible patriots. After Congresswoman Omar did go back to her home state of Minnesota, Trump falsely accusing her of staging the event. And President Trump denied that his daughter Ivanka Trump and First Lady Melania Trump advised him about the send her back chant. But he did say that they spoke to him about it. He also declined to answer questions about whether it would be appropriate for someone to tell Melania Trump, who was not born in the United States, to go back to where she came from. That was just one of many questions the president dodged today, Jake. Melania Trump has been a citizen far uh, for far less time than Congresswoman Omar. Uh, Abby, thank Philip at the White House. Thanks so much. Uh, uh, let's talk about this with our panel. And uh, Tara Setmeyer uh, joins us. Um, but uh, Caitlin, let me start with you. Take us into the last 24 hours in the White House, because we've gotten whiplash. The president was doubling down on this racist attack on these women. Then he was expressing regret that the chant was going on. Now he's pushing it again, and, and he's acting as if uh, Ilhan Omar is the Democratic presidential nominee. And we've seen this pattern play out before with the president, where something happens, he distances himself from it or denies it, and then later he doesn't like the coverage of how he's backed off something, so then he doubles down back to his original statement. That's really what we've seen play out at the White House, because we went from the president saying, oh, I tried to stop it, I started speaking quickly, when he was one-on-one -on -one with a reporter who was asking why would he let his supporters go on and chant something like that. And then today the president struck a much more defiant tone, talking about how his supporters are patriots, the people in North Carolina who are patriots, while yesterday he was telling reporters to drive back to North Carolina and ask them why they made those comments. So you're seeing him really change his tone after he's seen the coverage. And Abby is talking about how he said that Melania was also so frustrated by their comments, which is interesting because she was standing right over his shoulder today in the Oval Office. But yes, it seems that you're seeing the president back off his seeming distancing himself from those comments from yesterday. It's exactly what we saw with the Charlottesville uh, riots from the. Same the, with lock her up. He distanced yeah. himself from that originally, and then it became a staple of his rallies. And Tulu, the president said just moments ago, he doesn't know whether this is good for him politically or not. Uh, he's not focused at all on the politics of it. Do you buy that? This is a president that's always focused on politics. He's looking at 2020, and you can sort of look at anything he does through the lens of 2020 and whether or not he thinks it's good for him. Now, he and some of his advisors think it is good for him to be able to elevate some of these congresswomen who they believe are too far left for the country and would uh, paint the Democratic Party as being a socialist party. And that's really what he's trying to do here. Now, when he sort of walks back his comments and then doubles down, it sort of gives his supporters what they want. It gives the people who are concerned about what he said what, what they want as well, because they can say, you know, the president disavowed these comments, you know, let's move on. And then the supporters can say, you know, he's fighting for us and he's sticking with us. So we've seen, as Caitlin said, we've seen him do this on other issues before, like Charlottesville, where, you know, his supporters uh, heard what they wanted to hear. The people who are Republicans who are concerned with his initial response also heard what they wanted to hear. And they were able to say, you know, the president has condemned neo-Nazis and white supremacists. Let's all mm -hmm. move on. So it's a strategy that the president's using. He's sort of playing both sides of the aisle. And uh, all of it is about politics and looking at 2020. And let's be clear. These congresswomen have said things that are critical of the United States. The president also completely, continually misrepresents what they say. They have not called the United States garbage. Uh, but Tara, take a listen to what President Trump said just a few moments ago in response to a question from Abby Phillip. 
Why is it okay for you to criticize America, but not Democratic Congress? I believe all people are great people. I believe everyone is great, but I love our country. Uh, kudos to our colleague Abby Phillip for asking that question because it really put him in a situation where he should have answered it and didn't. He deflected because he can't. And it was that was half a step away from there's good people on both sides right there. You know, this president has disparaged this country time and time again. He went after John McCain, who was an unquestioned war hero in this country. You're telling me that was patriotic when he went after Gold Star families. That's patriotic. When he sat there and he and he let those people, those people who chanted send send her back, those are examples of patriots. No, they're not. Would he feel the same way then about the people back in the civil rights era that were chanting send them back for, for African Americans during segregation? Or what about the brown shirts in 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 Germany who were chanting God knows what about the Jews? Well, were they people would think maybe they were being patriotic? I mean, this is ridiculous for the president to continue using these examples that these people are patriots by sending them back. Was it patriotic when the Ku Klux Klan had billboards in the South saying love it or leave it? Mm-hmm. With that, was that They could just say that they were being patriots. They didn't want those people of color there. I mean, this is absurd. It's asinine of the president to use that as an excuse. And frankly, the Republicans who came out who said that this was not a good thing, this nativist approach to it, mm-hmm. not only do they at least, thank God, recognize the dangerous slippery slope it represents, but they also know the numbers. We have 22 million naturalized citizens in this country, including 400,000 in the state of Pennsylvania, which he only won by 44,000. And Jen Psaki, let, let me ask you the politics of this. The president clearly ran a campaign that was uh, that was racially tinged, I think, Mm -hmm. at the very least, in 2016. In 2018, he had the whole caravan thing. Mm -hmm. 2016, it worked, electorally at least. 2018, it definitely didn't. Are there fears in the Democratic Party about what this might mean, the immorality of racism notwithstanding, that it might actually be effective? Well, I think that what President Trump is doing is he's looking back at 2016, as you've touched on, and decided that's his playbook. You know, he's telling himself, 2018 doesn't matter. That wasn't really about me. I wasn't on the ballot. That's true historically for past presidents and past midterm elections. And he's trying to run exactly the same playbook. So as Caitlin's touched on, as the whole panel has touched on, we've seen this playbook before. This is almost like his security blanket and his safety net to go back to racially tinged and racial language in order to satisfy his base. Now, that doesn't mean it's the right strategy because he's go- he's betting on getting the exact same group of people out to vote. He has not expanded it at all. And that's not the way to win re-election when you're president. All right, everyone stick around because we've got a lot more to talk about what frontrunner Joe Biden might want to practice as he gets ready for the CNN debate. Stay with us. In our 2020 lead, the matchups are set. Democratic presidential hopefuls are now gearing up for the second presidential debate. Hosted by CNN, on night one, Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren will take center stage along with Pete Buttigieg, Senator Amy Klobuchar, and others. And the next night, Wednesday, it's a highly anticipated rematch between former Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Kamala Harris, as well as Cory Booker and seven others. Uh, let's uh, chew over this, Jen. You're looking for Biden and Harris to have another confrontation or at least discussion about ways uh, they disagree. You also say that you expect Biden will be better prepared this time. I think so. I've talked to a lot of members of his team and they feel like it was a wake up call for him, which ultimately can be a good thing in a primary campaign. When you realize you didn't have a good performance, you need to be more prepared, you need to bring your best game to it. So 
hopefully that's I think they're hoping that's that's the Joe Biden uh, that that uh, he brings to the debate stage and and he'll be more ready. Also, you can't, if you're Senator Harris, repeat the same attack. So obviously she was quite strong throughout the debate, but she's not going to do the same thing on busing, I would assume. So she'd have to go after him with a different tact. On Biden's other side, Tulu is going to be Senator Cory Booker, Democrat of New Jersey. After the draw, Booker's deputy communications director tweeted, mark the date, July 31st, 2019, Joe Biden finally gets his own Senate Judiciary Committee hearing. Now, here's the backstory here. Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, both known for being on the Senate Judiciary Committee, asking tough questions. And, you know, the suggestion, of course, is that Biden might face some tough questions of his own uh, at him from Harrison Booker, a la Anita Hill, a la crime bill. Yeah, uh, Booker was uh, at the Washington Post earlier this week talking to my colleague uh, about uh, what he plans to do during this debate. And he wants to be able to show a contrast between him and Biden. He didn't have that chance during the first round of the, of the debates. They're on different nights. This time he has a chance to not only confront Biden specifically over the issue of segregationists and Biden saying, oh, Corey should apologize. And also the issue of the crime bill. Cory Booker has uh, the First Step Act that he was able to help pass with the Trump administration. And he said that the 1994 crime bill, which was uh, spearheaded by Joe Biden, was one of the worst pieces of legislation ever signed. So he may be able to confront him on that issue. And we'll see whether or not Joe Biden has a good comeback. I just hope that Cory Booker, who is desperate for a moment because he's trailing in both money and support, I hope that he doesn't overstep now also. If he pulls... You thought Kamala Harris overstepped? Yeah, I thought that it was a cheap shot at hmm. Biden. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't prepared for it, because, and he admitted as much because he thought she wouldn't go so personal. Um, but you see that it hasn't really been sustaining for her. Okay, so she flipped on the busing issue, and then, you know, that kind of went away now, and then she's flip-flopped on health care. And so it, it really hasn't, it improved it for some, a little bit for her. But I think it was more of a, a, a shot in the arm for Biden to realize that this, he has to be a bit more aggressive. I appreciate that he wants to be the gentlemanly guy there and said he doesn't want to attack people, but he has to show the American people not only that he's pragmatic and that he can unify the country, but that also he'll fight for them. That is something, a hallmark of what Biden has been known for. And I'm looking forward to him doing that and making sure that Cory Booker doesn't kneecap him the way Kamala Harris did. So on Tuesday, uh, the 30th, that's the first night of debates, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders will be on the same stage along with eight others. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has been eating into Bernie Sanders uh, voters. I mean, she's basically passed him in a lot of polls, but listen to Warren's response when told that she was going to be on the same stage as him. I am delighted. Bernie and I have been friends for a long, long time. We've worked on a lot of issues together. They have been friends for a long time. They did make a pact not to attack each other individually. But, of course, they're going to be on stage with a bunch of other moderates. And it's the two of them who are competing for the same kind of voter in this race. So, and Bernie Sanders has made pretty clear how he's felt about that in recent weeks with statements he's made. So it's going to be interesting to see them watch and see how they try to edge the other out for those really liberal, left-leaning voters. And it's going to be tough for Bernie because you can't attack Elizabeth Warren, but she's taking your voters away from you. So what, what do you do? It's also challenging, I think for a male candidate uh, going at a female candidate, as Barack Obama and Rick Lazio and others have learned. Maybe, but I think Elizabeth Warren will be able to hold her own in that sense. I mean, she works with these people every day in the Senate, so I think that'll be, I don't think that'll be an issue. Yeah, not that, not that she can't hold her own, but the, the guy can risk looking like a bully, at least historically that's been the risk. Uh, and just a reminder, these CNN Democratic presidential debates are July 30th and 31st, moderated by Dana Bash, Don Lemon, myself, only on CNN. Coming up, three women... Three different allegations of sexual assault and misconduct, all involving Donald Trump. All three sit down with CNN in a rare interview. That's next.
Time for our buried lead. That's what we call stories we think are not getting enough attention. Are they the forgotten women of the Me Too movement? Three women who accused President Trump of sexual misconduct have sat down with CNN's MJ Lee. They say they feel left behind. They're still waiting for their moment. And they share the struggles they've faced since coming forward, calling for President Trump to face what they see as justice. He managed to penetrate me against my will completely. And then all of a sudden I realized that he was putting his hand up my skirt. Donald just grabbed my ass. These three women say they were sexually assaulted years ago by Donald Trump. So this would have been at Mar-a-Lago, too. Right. Okay. Mindy McGilvray says it was at a concert at the Mar-a-Lago Club in 2003 when she was a photo assistant. A hard, like, grab on, on my right side. So I jump up. I'm startled. Jessica Leeds says it was on an airplane when she was traveling for work in the early 1980s. We're struggling. I'm trying to push him off of me. And Author E. Jean Carroll says it happened inside of a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room in the 1990s. The minute I was in that room, boom, the door closed. And he shoved me up against the wall and banged my head. Two of them say they decided to go public with their allegations after this explosive Access Hollywood tape leaked. Grab him by the Their tipping point, this moment at a presidential debate in October 2016. Are you saying that what you said on that bus 11 years ago, that you did not actually kiss women without consent or grope women without consent? I have great respect for women. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Have you ever done those things? women have respect for me. And I will tell you, no, I have not. I jumped out of my seat and I pointed to the TV and I'm like, you son of a bitch, you're a liar. For the past few years, a reckoning has roiled the nation as women have spoken out under the banner of Me Too. Powerful men in media, entertainment, business and government have been forced to reckon with allegations of misconduct and violence. The women who spoke out against Trump have been cheering on the movement, but they have also watched their alleged attacker get elected president of the United States. She would not be my first choice, that I can tell you and deny all of their allegations. Trump really is Teflon. It just slides right off of him. Things that he has done, he doesn't seem to pay the price for it. How can he serve the United States of America as the president when he has hurt countless women? Countless. Nobody's held him accountable yet, not one person. More than a dozen women have come forward with a wide range of accusations against Trump. I was forcibly kissed by... From unwelcome advances to sexual harassment and assault. He was all over me, hands everywhere. Trump's most recent accuser detailed her alleged assault in a new book. Since coming out, these women say they have received support, but also furious backlash. One even described death threats. I'd seen what happened to Jessica Leeds and Mindy. I had seen it vehement denials and how dare they come forward. The question these women are grappling with, what does justice or accountability look like? It's a totally false accusation. When the accused is the most powerful man in the world. Oh, total jail time, total jail time for the rest of his life. Absolutely. For him to lose the election in 2020. I would like to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for making you uncomfortable. I'm sorry for disrespecting you or hurting you in any way. Some worry that they will be entirely left behind by the Me Too movement. We are the forgotten ones. I feel like we have been brushed aside and forgotten about. 
But Trump's latest accuser says she is more hopeful. There is a way. I know there's a way because women are angry. Now, all three of these women have such different stories, but they all have a number of things in common. They all say they remember exactly what they were wearing at the time of the alleged assault. None of them went to the police. And Jake, all three women telling me that they would love to someday meet one another. Jake. All right, MJ Lee, with that report, thank you so much. And we are just minutes away from what is expected to be the largest protests yet in Puerto Rico. We're going to go live on the ground there next. Internationally, at any moment, protests will begin in Puerto Rico, and it could be the biggest demonstration we have seen yet. Crowds are demanding that Puerto Rican Governor Ricardo Rosseo resign over private chat messages that were leaked to the public. The messages at best homophobic and vicious and cruel and at worst pointing to corruption. CNN's Leila Santiago is on the ground in San Juan, and Leila, crowds are already beginning to gather behind you. That's right. Uh, crowds are not staying home, even though it is raining right now, Jake. I'll sort of try to get right in there so you can see what it's like. This is right at La Fortaleza. That is the governor's mansion. And this is sort of the center where we are now on day six of protests. And while this is peaceful, this is even somewhat festive with drums and music, you can expect that this will be very, very different in a matter of three, four hours. That's what we've seen over the last few days. So why are these people here? They will tell you it's more than vulgar language in a chat. This is about getting rid of corruption on the island. I've spoken to so many people who are saying that the governor must resign now. He can no longer govern. But the governor, I just checked in with his office, and they say he is not even considering it at this hour. All right, Leila Santiago, thank you so much. Stay safe in that protest coming up this weekend. Oh, actually, something else. In our money lead today, President Trump today is insisting the Democrats cannot use the debt ceiling as a negotiation tool with the president as the administration works to try to reach a deal on the debt ceiling before the August recess. I can't imagine anybody ever even thinking of using the debt ceiling as a negotiating wedge. Don't use it as a negotiation, negotiating wedge. He said this is the fun part, a game we always like to call. There's always a tweet for it. In 2012, as a citizen, Mr. Trump tweeted, quote, the Republicans must use the debt ceiling as leverage to make a great deal. There is always a tweet for it. This weekend on State of the Union, Democratic presidential candidate Senator Cory Booker will also have Republican Senator Ron Johnson. That's Sunday morning at 9 and again at noon. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead. CNN, our coverage on CNN continues right now. See you Sunday. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.